Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm your host, Tom Morkis, and today I sit down with Jonathan Stark, who is a former software developer who is on a mission to rid the world of hourly billing. Jonathan is the author of Hourly Billing is Nuts, the host of Ditching Hourly, and writes a daily newsletter on pricing for independent professionals. And I brought Jonathan on the call today to break it down for us. Why is hourly billing bad and what should we do instead? And my big takeaway is just that, that if you are selling services professionally, hourly billing is probably not the way to go. It limits your upside profit potential, and it can also harm relationships with longer-term clients. And that's something Jonathan kind of breaks down and describes in today's conversation, and something that I thought was particularly interesting, because I'd never thought of it that way before. So what should you do instead? Well, we talk about how you can price based on value on today's call. All right, you guys ready to go? Let's do it. So Jonathan, I want to dive into this idea of hourly billing. I've heard uh, people talk about, you know, why you should do value-based pricing. Um, I've heard people even comment that hourly rates can be good or charging by the hour is good. You've set a firm, you know, we'll say flag in the ground here with your ditching hourly workshop. I mean, you're anti-hourly. And I want to get into the reasons why and what you think is more effective. But how'd you get, how'd you get to this point anyway? Give us a little bit of the backstory and then we'll dive into that. Sure. Uh, I have been a software developer for a real long time. I guess I started in the early 2000s. And around 2005, I was managing a dev shop in Atlanta that employed you know, 10 or so developers. And we built ourselves out hourly. Everybody was, you know, say, $150 an hour at the time. And my whole life was ours. I was doing hourly estimates. I was having the, you know, sort of whipping the developers to get their hours in on time so we could send out invoices. And then, you know, if projects went over estimate, then I'd be fighting about hours with clients, just hours all the time. But that was normal. That was what everybody did. That was what was expected. It's still what's expected. Uh, But it occurred to me at one point that our best developer, we're barely breaking even on his salary. And our most junior developer, we were printing money with because the, the best developer was really fast and it was tough to even keep him busy. And we paid him the most. And the junior developer, we paid the least. And he was really slow and uh, had to do things three and four times to get them right. But his clients loved him. He had a great bedside manner. And I was like, this, this is crazy. This, we should be, our best developer should be one of our biggest assets. And it wasn't, he wasn't. And I, I thought about it for a long time until I finally began to question hourly billing and then the light bulb went on. If we switched over to fixed price projects, then all of a sudden I'd want our best developer on every single one of them. I'd want to clone him. I'd want to have him training all the other developers to get as good as he was. All of a sudden everything would be aligned and we'd be able to have some real profits instead of you know staring at the clock all the time. Yeah. And, and from a, a perspective of using hourly billing as a freelancer, consultant, coach, you know, anybody kind of selling any kind of service or, or advisory, anything like that, you know, I think it's the easy go-to, Yep. but um, I, it, beyond that, it also sounds like some of the setbacks for this. So the, the reasons to consider, you know, not doing hourly billing is, um, I, and I know you list these out, I want to kind of break them down. I think one of the things that stands out is, well, you, you know, and maybe this is the most important, you, you probably won't make as much as you can if you price by the project or, or in some other way. So maybe let's start with there with the cookie of money, and then we'll get into some of the other ways that 
um, there are better strategies than hourly billing. Right. So hourly is easy. It's what everybody expects. It's easy to figure out how to do it. Um, the problem with it is it does artificially limit your income. There are only so many hours in the week and so many weeks in the year, and there's only so much you can charge per hour before your clients head for the hills. So unless you're planning on building a big firm and marking up their time and you know becoming a manager and doing HR functions and job posting and interviewing and hiring and firing and all that, um, if, if you want to do that, fine. But if you really just love what you do, you like your uh, area of expertise and you want to be a soloist or a small firm, then pretty quickly hourly billing is going to feel like uh, a trap. It's going to feel like you're working harder than ever and can never seem to get ahead you end up in this feast salmon cycle because you have no time to do marketing because you have to be billable constantly. And you have, um, you really have no profits. So if you, if you imagine, especially if you're a soloist, it's easiest to imagine this. Uh, when you first go solo, you start freelancing by the hour. You think, Oh, I'm making a hundred, hundred bucks an hour. It's all profit because you know, my, my computer is paid for. I work at a Starbucks. I have no costs. Well, that's not true. You're, it's, it's really easy to, to forget that you're both a business owner and the sole employee. And if you were as a business owner, so like the employee is getting paid, so to speak, but the business isn't making any profit. It's not making any money. If you hired someone who was, you know, roughly the same skill set as you to do the actual work and you just got the clients in through the door and handed off all the work to your clone and had to pay your clone as much as you were getting paid, you'd, pretty quickly quit doing that because there'd be no money left over for the business. So a lot of, a lot of freelancers think that they're operating on uh, like a hundred percent profit basis when actually it's closer to zero. And that's why you end up stuck in this hourly trap because you don't have time to actually build your business. You're always working in your business instead of on your business and, you know, doing, doing client work. I'm curious on that. And there's a, f- a few questions that we'll, we'll jump around to, I think. But one, because you mentioned it there, was this idea of like, you're not able to work on your business because you're in it, working in it, you're, you're billing the hours, right? How does changing to something other than hourly billing, so project-based or something else, or you call value pricing, for instance, and we'll, we can kind of break that down and, mm-hmm. and define that. But how does that allow you to actually start working on your business? Is it, are you not still also in the same trap or same challenge um, regardless of how you price as a freelancer, consultant, or, or coach, or anybody like selling services, aren't you, aren't we all susceptible to being sucked into working in our business? Even if, if, even if, even if we're not charging by the hour, I guess is my question. To a certain extent, but there's a big difference uh, because if you, if you're selling an hour and time is your main cost as the seller, you're selling an hour. What do you have to, how long does it take to deliver it? An hour. It doesn't matter how fast you are. So if you are selling hours to someone, you can never optimize your costs. You can never decrease your costs. Every time you sell an hour, it's going to cost you an hour to deliver it. Versus if you're selling an outcome, like uh, increased leads, uh, decreased uh, bounce rate on your mobile website, uh, improved morale among your employees, some outcome, and then you get better and better at delivering it more quickly. Now, all of a sudden you can you can deliver an outcome that's very valuable to a client in perhaps an extremely short time for you. So it allows you to build leverage into your business where, you know, like, like literally lever, like, you know, a lever allows you to do less work to move more 
stones or whatever. Mm. And if you, you have no way to create a lever, if you're selling time, you can't optimize it. In fact, it penalizes you when you get faster at what you do. There's in fact, I, the joke I make all the time is like, if you bill by the hour, why would you ever buy a faster computer? It doesn't make sense. Mm. Right. No, that's a good point. I mean, and there's, you know, pr pros and cons too. Like, obviously that's, you know, on the, on the say freelancer consultant side, um, somebody who's selling hourly right now mm. or at an hourly rate, then there's the, the client customer side. Right. And, and one of the things you mentioned in lesson two of your free value pricing bootcamp email course, which will be linked up in the show notes. But if you guys are interested, um, you can just head over to, I want to make sure I get this right. Valuepricingbootcamp.com. Super easy. Valuepricingbootcamp.com. And you guys can sign up for free. But in lesson two, you talk about how it can damage your relationship with clients. Maybe break that down for me because that's something actually I never really considered or thought about. Sure. Um, so how does that work? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's right there. You know, if, if you are paid by the hour, you will make more money the longer you take. If you're the buyer, you want the project to take less time. You want it to cost less money, take less time. If you're the seller, you want it to take more time. So, um, before we even get into like the ethics of, you know, where people are padding their hours or working slowly on purpose, let's just assume everybody is acting in, uh, with best interests of everyone in mind. And, you know, as a freelancer, you're, you're, you don't pad your hours and you work as fast as you can and you want to hit your estimates and all those things are true. Still, the financial incentives exist to discourage you from optimizing anything. So you're automatically going to be taking longer than you probably should be. And the, the clients are not stupid. They understand that if you take longer, it's going to cost them more. They understand that there is a financial incentive, which the freelancer may choose to ignore, but that is very difficult to do. Um, on the conscious and subconscious on the, on the subconscious level, it's okay. It's not impossible to do consciously, but subconsciously it's very difficult to ignore that the longer things take, the more I'm going to make. And this creates what I call a, a trust fracture between the buyer and the seller. So the client and the consultant or the client and the freelancer, and it can work out. Okay. If the freelancer is always hitting their estimates you know, so they would give an estimate before a project starts say, I think it's going to take a hundred hours or a hundred dollars an hour. And they actually do it. Then there's, it's not, it, it ends up working out. Okay. It's not freaking anybody out. But if you start to go over the estimate, all of a sudden the client starts to slowly freak out. And it, and what's truly insidious about this is that the nature of hourly billing is such that you can get started doing activities on behalf of the client before you even understand what it is they're trying to achieve. So the odds of things going over budget are really high because as the project is going on, your, your, your work is probably not moving the needle that the, the business wants moved. So it, it leads to scope creep. So it's kind of like this vicious cycle where the beginning of the project, you talk about scope, but not desired outcome. You don't know what you're trying to achieve for the business. You make a bunch of assumptions about what you think they want done. You know, what the, what the outcome of your copywriting or website or design is going to, to bring their business, but you don't actually confirm that you don't actually come up with a way that everybody agrees to measure it. So you're just like, you know, it's like driving the cab around, not knowing where you're going with the meter running.
eventually you might end up at the place where the client wants to go, but the odds are pretty low. So the, the whole nature of hourly billing encourages, encourages like waste uh, and, and you're not penalized financially for it as the freelancer. So you never get better at it. The only, the only thing that could potentially um, would, want, would make you want to hit your estimates is that you don't want to have the fight with the client, like the, just the emotional baggage of it. But there's no financial incentive for you to finish quickly. And that, that financial, financial incentive only comes once you switch to some sort of fixed price model. And once you've switched to a fixed price model, now your, your financial incentives are aligned with the clients. The client truly believes they don't have to trust you to believe that you're trying to work as fast as possible. They, they, they don't have to trust you. They just believe it. They know you are because every minute you work is you losing money instead of every minute you work, you making money. Mm. I'm, I'm curious on this um, from somebody who's I've both um, sold, uh, we'll say consulting advisor implementation, like by the hour and as projects based, we'll talk about mm -hmm. value pricing in a second. And, and so I've attempted that as well um, because it's not the core thing I work on now. I've actually, it's funny. I've kind of gone back to hourly mm -hmm. more recently only because it's not my core thing. And so it's easier for somebody to just pick up some time and, and then I can do like a consulting session on the side which is not to, to, to challenge any of this. I think in just, in my case, it's just, I don't, I don't know if I have the time for big projects anyway. So outside of just picking up a call, I can't, can't do much. And so people kind of know what they're getting with me, but for the person who's like, where that's your job, you're billing, um, you know, for services rendered, then I do think there's some, uh, you know, there's the, 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 the negatives are there and we've kind of outlined a couple of them. I'm wondering on, on the side of things from somebody who also hires people, both contractors for projects and by the hour right now, I'm kind of going through that process and I'm, I'm, I'm finding it. I, I find it kind of challenging because on the one hand, I do like the project fee. Um, it feels good typically, but I'm wondering how often do you find that? Like maybe when you're hiring somebody, maybe this means it's just a bad contractor who does it, uh, maybe does a project but like, um, say quality, uh, you know, isn't, isn't where it should be, but you know, but, but if I hire somebody by the hour who is kind of competent at that hourly rate, um, can do a better job in about as much, you know, we'll say in the same or better quality, but same amount of kind of total fee or something like that. I'm curious, like from my vantage point of hiring somebody, is there, is there a negative for me as the, the client to be hiring somebody, somebody, um, on a project basis, because could they also just kind of take it easy or just like, you know, put out shoddy work. Do you feel like that happens or is that more? Yeah. Oh, I see, I see where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things, one of the things that, uh, can, can creep into the buyer's mind when you give a quote. So at the beginning of the project, you talk about what they want to achieve. So, okay, I'm going to give you a proposal. It's going to have three prices. They're not estimates or fixed prices. If it takes me twice as long to do this stuff. That's my problem. Not yours. These are the prices. You're not going to pay a dime more. Then the next doubt that enters their mind is like, well, he's going to cut corners, right? Like, like if, if things get, uh, if things do go long, then he's going to cut corners. So that's where the notion of guarantees comes in. And, and that is a terrifying word for a lot of people, uh, who, especially if they're, they're used to working hourly and essentially used to being bossed around by their clients, being told what to do and being treating like treated like labor, like go, go do this for me and tell me when you're done and just like, let me know how long it takes and I'll pay your hourly rate they're not used to having to deliver actual results. So there's a, there's a, um, 
sort of a tendency to freak out because they're not used to having control in the first place. And the idea of offering a guarantee implies that you have some control. So, you know, one of the things that you would want to see in a proposal that is value price or fixed price, any, however you calculate the price, if it's fixed price, you would want to have some kind of guarantee, some sort of expectation, uh, expectation of, um, results of some kind. Uh, it could be a professionalism guarantee in the software space. It could be a bug-free guarantee for six months or something like that after the project is completed. But some, some kind of guarantee that's going to uh, flip that objection about cutting corners. This could also be something that is just handled by your marketing and your brand. So if you're really well-known and you have a good brand and lots of good word of mouth, people aren't going to worry about this as much. But if you're an unknown quantity and somebody's got an RFP out and all of these people are saying, eh, I think it'll be about $10,000, but you know, I'll bill you by the hour and I'll let you know when I'm done. And then you come along and you say, well, it's going to be $20,000 guaranteed. Uh, sorry, it's going to be $20,000 fixed. And then they think, well, but how do I know that you're not going to do a bad job? And then you, that's where you'd have to, if they don't trust you already from your marketing and branding, uh, you're going to, a way to answer that question is to have some kind of guarantee. And there's all different kinds. It depends on what kind of work you're doing. It's actually a whole huge other mm. topic, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I know we're, we have limited time to dive into even just this. So we'll bookmark that maybe for a future conversation, but let's zoom in then on this, this idea of fixed bids, fixed pricing. Um, the idea of giving even three options, I think is kind of fascinating, but maybe break it down for us. Like how does value pricing work? And how do we begin to kind of implement our transition from hourly billing? Yeah, it's a huge mind shift all the way from the sales interview process on through delivery. So the, a lot of people I talk to who, um, who bill hourly and have been billing hourly for a long time, say, you know, three years at least they've experimented with fixed price projects and gotten burned because the way that they calculated the fixed price was to imagine a scope of work based on, you know, maybe an hour's worth of conversation with the client, uh, and imagine some scope of work amount, uh, estimated how many hours they think it's going to take them for a six month long project after an hour of talking to somebody. And they've naturally, they underestimate it because I mean, first of all, you just can't, you can't learn everything right out of the gate. Um, some projects are just iterative. So there's simply, you know, you don't, you don't even know upfront what the scope of work is going to be. So what they do is they, when they, they experiment with fixed pricing, or maybe they even think they're value pricing, but they're actually not, they calculate how many hours they think it's going to take them. They multiply it by their hourly rate. They add some random percentage for like account management or, you know, like, like admin, you know, and then they say, okay, you know, it's going to be $15,000. And the problem is they did not set themselves up to succeed at that price. So if dear listener, if you, if you've tried fixed pricing in the past and you calculated it the way I just described, which is called cost plus or, or time and materials, if you calculated it like that and ended up regretting it, feeling like you lost money or something like that, imagine instead how that project would have went if you added a zero to the amount that you quoted to the client. If you had added a zero to the $15,000 proposal, and it was actually 150,000. And let's just assume for the sake of argument, that the client accepted it. Would that have felt profitable to you? 
if you ended up doing all the exact same stuff that you did for 15 and it felt like you lost money, then, and, but you got paid 150,000 for it. I'm pretty sure you'd be like, that would be a huge win. That would be amazing. So the, the, the problem here is that the seller who sold, uh, who cal- calculated a time and materials price set it too low. It's like, that's the simple, simple thing is that when you do time and materials, you almost always set the price too low. If you're going to set a fixed price like that and people never imagine like, well, what, I mean, my prices could be 10 times higher than, than I set in this time and materials thing. If I base the prices on the value to the client. So if the client, if it's worth, if the, if the outcome was worth a million dollars to the client, then they probably would have paid $150,000. Even if it would only take you, air quotes, $15,000 worth of hours to do it, the client doesn't really care about that as long as they get the outcome and they get a huge return on investment from whatever it is that you did. So value pricing is a way to, to set prices. You can't just do this all the time. It's not with impunity. You can't just raise your prices, just like set giant prices. But if you do find clients who have high value projects, you can set your prices based on that value and then have plenty of wiggle room on the scope because the price is double, triple, five, 10 times what you would have quoted at a fixed price. Uh, Sorry, a time and materials fixed price. Still a fixed price, but it's based on value instead of cost. How do you avoid um, when when you start to... Well, and, and, and how does that work with the idea of doing like three tiers? Or three options. So when you talk to somebody and let's say you get the sense that this particular project is worth a hundred thousand dollars to them, you know, like any, they'll be happy if, if, uh, in other words, it might not be a bottom line increase in sales or something like that, but, but whatever it is that they want, uh, you to achieve for them, whatever transformation they're looking to get out of you, whatever contribution they think that you're going to deliver to this desired outcome, it's worth a hundred grand to them. So if I get, you know, and it's not a, it's not a science, it's an art, you get a sense of it and you say, oh, I think, I think I can make a case that if everything goes well and we hit a home run, then this client is going to be, you know, happier to have this software project or this white paper, or this sales funnel, they're going to be happier to have that and the outcome that that delivers than the hundred thousand dollars sitting in the bank. So if I imagine roughly that this is a hundred, worth $100,000 to them, then I'd come up with three prices. I don't even know what I'm going to do yet. I just say, all right, this is, this is worth, moving this needle is worth hundred grand to them probably, roughly. I'm going to create three options. One is going to be a $10,000 option. I don't even know what I'm going to do. It's just going to be a 10, 10% of what it's probably worth to them. Then I'm going to say, I'll create another option, another price under that value. That's like 22,000. So, you know, 22 around there, you know, a little less than a quarter. And then I'll come up with one that's maybe $50,000 or probably 50, maybe 75, maybe closer, but you know, roughly, roughly half of what I think it might be worth to them. And then, and only then do I start thinking really hard about exactly what I'm going to do. So then I'll say, all right, these people want to move this metric. They want to you know, this, this needle on their business move, maybe it's morale, maybe it's bounce rate, maybe it's conversion rate optimization, but they want something to change. They want a transformation. They believe that you can contribute to it in some way because you're an expert in this area. 
And I'd say to myself, okay, if I had a budget of 10 grand, what could I do to help them with that? And then if I had a budget of 22 grand, what could I do to help them with that? If I had a budget of 50 grand, what could I do to help them with that? And as the, and, and you can, you can increment the options in a lot of different ways. One really common way is to say option one, well, it's only $10,000. It's not really that much money for me could have a huge impact for you. Um, so what I'll do is I'll come up with a sort of a DIY option where I do strategy and design and I explain, uh, give you a roadmap based on your specifics and based on my expertise about what you should do on your own to execute, to move that needle and to get that outcome. So your involvement is much lower. You're not, you're not going to be around for a long time. You're essentially making the, the blueprints for the building. You're not building the building. So, okay, that's interesting. Maybe option two, you add uh, you did sort of a done with you kind of engagement where you do all of that stuff up front, the strategy planning, design, architecture type work, you create the blueprints and they'll build the building, but you'll stay around to make sure that they're doing it right. So you'll be an expert kind of like the architect walking around while a, an actual building is being constructed by the team or the client outsources it to someone else. But you, you stay involved, you make sure that it's going in the right direction, you answer any questions where you know, um, something, some surprise happened or some unexpected obs- obstacle crops up. So you stay involved, but you're not pounding nails. You're kind of walking the site with the blueprints in your hand. And then the $50,000 option, the top tier option would be a done for you where the client barely has to do anything or they have to do the least amount of work, just the bare minimum, and you handle everything. You design it, you build it, you make sure it's built to specification. You maybe even you pay for the contractors to do the building, all of that. And uh, so that, that's just one way you could create three incremental options. One would be, you know, lowest option, do it yourself. I'll tell you how. Option two is done with you. You'll do it, but I'll help you along the way. And the top one would be done for you where you basically handle absolutely, absolutely as much as you possibly can without the client's intervention. But they're all toward the same goal. They're all trying to move that same needle. They're all trying to decrease the bounce rate or increase revenue or whatever the goal that the client wants you uh, engaged with. From there, when you're doing this too, do you always do this and break it down and kind of create these three options before? So you maybe do like an intro call, have the conversation, create this proposal with three tiers in it and then bring it back on a call to maybe like, go ahead like, and move forward on the project, depending on what they choose as, as which, which option. Yes. Some, right. Some students, as some of my coaching students do that. They'll like come to a meeting and present the proposal, like three, just like a one sheet with three, almost like um, comparison chart of the three options. I don't do that. I've never done that. It works. People can do it. It's not my style. I usually do like a, um, a more narrative form, it's usually four or five pages nothing fancy, uh, nothing too long. It's just really focused on the benefits of each option, the prices at the end. And I email it to them. And then I have like a follow-up routine that I do to, you know, if they have any questions or whatever. Right. And, and as far as, but it sounds like then what you try to do is you'll make sure that like that next correspondence will include those three tiers. That's the thing that's going to be presented. And then you're able to go and close. Right. So the, in the sales conversation, the whole time in the sales interview, I call it an interview because we're right. seeing if there's a good fit. It's like a job interview. You want to, you don't want to just work for any company. You want to work for a good one. So you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. And the only thing I care about finding out in that meeting is what needle they're trying to move. What does a mm. home run look like? How do we know that this was a success? 
if we're just, you know, if, if I don't know what's going to satisfy them, the odds of me satisfying them is next to zero. It's like shooting bat, you know, shooting hoops with a blindfold on. I need to know where the basket is. I need to be able to see it. I want to be able to see it while I'm doing the work. I want to know that I'm getting closer to it and making progress toward the goal. Not that I did the activities that they said I should do, but that we're making progress. I love it. Well, I think that's a great point to end on. I think this was really useful. I think there's some real golden nuggets here. So Jonathan, where can people reach out to find you, connect with you, or learn more about you? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I would just send people to valuepricingbootcamp.com to, you know, if you're interested in any of this and you want to drill into more of it, it's like a series of emails that come out every day for seven days that go into these topics in more detail. Uh, And you can reply to any message. It goes straight to my inbox and we can start a conversation. I love it. Well, I encourage people to go check it out. I'm signing up. I think this is a great course for people who are selling any kind of service or, or work in that context. Coaches, consultants, do it. Check it out. Um, and again, thank you so much for this, Jonathan. Great primer. And I like some of your strategies, especially the three kind of tiers and bring that into the kind of the proposal with it. So people check it out, go sign up for the free value pricing bootcamp. And Jonathan, thank you for being on in the trenches. Thanks very much for having me. And that wraps up another broadcast of in the trenches. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating review. Just go to tomworkus.com slash iTunes, and that'll take you to iTunes where you can leave a five-star rating review. And that really helps spread the word about this podcast. And finally, if you need help growing your online business or generating new traffic leads and sales at a profit, reach out to me at tom at tomworkus.com or head over to the website tomworkus.com and sign up for the free newsletter. That's it for today. Stay frosty.